Well, I tell you, we need, we need t-shirts. We need t-shirts that we give to people. It's so exciting to be able to hear Anthony's story of when uh, he made his faith commitment. And uh, it was really exciting to be able to hear how God had used him in David's life. And I am really looking forward to what I know God is going to do uh, in David's life. Because um, we know that God promises to bless us. God promises to change us. And David has those promises to, to look forward to. And I just want to encourage you this morning that if you have any questions about baptism, um, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that. In fact, if you will uh, email us, or if you're watching online this morning, you can just make a comment. You can also click that live prayer button. One of our hosts will be more than happy to talk with you. But if you have questions about baptism, we will mail you a little packet. It's got some information that will answer all your questions about what the Bible teaches about child dedication, about baptism, about how to have a relationship with Christ. And if you're in person with us this morning and you want to come up after the service, I'm just going to set these right up front here. Uh, you can come up front, uh, make your way to the front, and pick one of those up. Uh, but we would love the opportunity to talk with you about how you like David, can identify uh, with Christ in this way as we, and allow us to celebrate this uh, milestone with you. In fact, two weeks ago, we celebrated a baptism. I know uh, Andy Suarez is one of our elders. He's one of our small group leaders, and uh, he's got, uh, I think his small group has really got a lot of folks in it. So um, I know as we head towards fall, um, we're praying for new small group leaders, but it was so exciting to be able to hear how um, uh, how Andy was able to uh, talk with people in his small group. I mean, had one of his, uh, this is Hillary Russell, made a, had made a faith commitment. She wanted to identify with Christ uh, through baptism. And so they did her baptism service in their pool at Andy's house. And so we want to celebrate that um, as well. You see, God is in the life change business. And uh, you know, part of that begins with understanding your need for a relationship with Christ. That is where the power to change comes from. A person makes a faith commitment. Uh, God changes them. His spirit is no longer external, but internal. Uh, we become new. You know, it says that uh, scripture tells us that the old is gone, the new has come. We're new creatures when we're in Christ. Baptism is an opportunity um, just to publicly confess that and, uh, and identify with him in that way. So if you have questions about that, we'd love to, to talk with you. You know, it's, um, it's interesting because I remember when I made my faith commitment. It was uh, uh, February of 1995. And uh, it was such, it was a life-transforming um, experience for me. And that's my prayer for our Springbrook family, that people would be excited about who they are in Christ, that it would change the way that they live and the way that they uh, work out their um, faith. You know, it's my prayer that everyone at Springbrook would think about their story and look for opportunities to share their story with people around us. Can you imagine what this church would look like if every one of us was excited about who we are in Christ and we're sharing that excitement with people around us. That is my prayer for our church. That God would use us to be witnesses, that we would be able to reach this community for Christ, that we'd be able to reach this region for Christ. We're part of a movement of churches called Converge that are reaching our nation for Christ and reaching our world for Christ. And that's my prayer for our church, that we could be a part of what God would have for us in this world as we seek to glorify him and point other people to his son. You know, this uh, past week, I had uh, an opportunity to, uh, to go on vacation. It was my first vacation since COVID, and oh, it felt so good. It felt so good. And uh, we left last week. We were gone over the weekend, and uh, one of the things that happened uh, was we were gone on Monday, and so I missed the trash service. And so we pulled into the garage Wednesday, and our garage went up, and I got out of the car, and I was like, wow, what is that? 
That trash can had been sitting in our garage for a while. And so I'm walking around trying to find the smell, and I opened the lid up, and I was like, poof. I was like, oh. And it's been sitting there all week. And so, you know, I've heard it out, you know. But it was funny because I looked under that trash can, and I was like, what in the world is in there? I mean, it was, I don't know. We made the mistake of putting a, some chicken in there or something. I don't know. There's something in there, boy, and it was, it was bad. It was funny because I was looking around there and I saw a rag that I had wiped something down with before we left our trip. I threw it in the trash can. And uh, so I'm looking at this trash can and, and a verse popped into my mind I wanted to share with you this morning. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, we have all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. They're a filthy rag. They're like what's at the bottom of that trash can. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. You know, there is nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. And so if you are trying to be good enough, if you are trying to work your way into heaven, if you are trying to do things in your own strength, they are like filthy rags when it comes to God's righteousness. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. That's why what Christ accomplished for us on the cross is so important because it is through our relationship with Christ that we have right standing with God. And that's the decision that we celebrated with David this morning. That's the decision that every believer gets to celebrate when they cross that line of faith and place their faith in Christ and not their own good works. We can't achieve God's favor in our own strength. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, If anyone is uh, new in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We are new creations because of who we are in Christ. Now, we can buy new clothes. We can get new jobs. There's things that we can do to start over. But with our standing before God, there's only one way that we find right relationship with God. And it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when a person makes a faith commitment, they are made new. There's something new about David. There's something new about every believer. The old is gone and the new has come. We have been changed. And when Christ returns, we're going to be changed again. We're going to get new bodies. Until that day that Christ returns, we're living in this body, but we have the hope and we have new life available to us today. You know, I first heard this news about Jesus. This was good news. Because I was tired and worn out trying to do things on my own. I had tried to work out the religious things. I had tried to do things. My, my role as a husband, as a father, as an employer, my life was kind of a mess. And I had been trying to do things on my own strength. And when I heard this news about Jesus Christ, it changed my life. And I live with that excitement every day. I think back to that day that I made my faith commitment. And I look back at the way that God has worked in my life. And it is so encouraging to know that God is in the life change business. He's in the life change business. And that's my prayer for this church, for Springbrook Community Church, that we would experience the love of Christ in a way that our lives are changed and people see something different in us that they're attracted to. That's what our series is coming up on the, on the book of Acts. They, they, they were held everything together. They were in fellowship. There was a sense of awe among them. People from the outside saw that. They were attracted to it. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. It's my prayer for our church that we would be excited about who we are in Christ, that others would see that and want to be attracted to that and be a part of what God's doing. And so I want to stop for a moment. I want to ask you something specifically about David this morning. Thinking about his faith story, thinking about where God's working in his life right now. Let me ask you this. 
do you think that God is going to honor David's decision to place his faith in Christ and that his life will be blessed? Do you think that David's life is going to be blessed? Do you really believe that? (laughs) I mean, it's not really a, a, a trick question because, you know, God promises to bless his children. God loves his children. It's not a trick question. But let me ask you this. When will God bless David's life? When will David start to experience the immediate blessings of his new relationship with Christ? Right away. <laughs> That's exactly right. See, you're, you're answering, you're right on the right track. So what's his middle name? <laughs> you know, God promises to bless his children, but sometimes the question of when those blessings happen can be a question mark because you see, we all want immediate blessing. I gave my life to Christ. Why hasn't this changed today? You know, I gave my life to Christ. Why am I still struggling with this? You see, the issue of God's blessing is a question of when are we going to start experiencing that blessing? We want blessings immediately. I remember when I made my faith commitment, I came to Christ, I got baptized, I was involved in a small group, and I walked up to my wife, I said, we get to start over. And she said, good for you, because you and I got some work we got to (laughs) do. I was like, but I'm a believer now. She said, yeah, I know, we have some work we have to do. We want the blessings immediately. I ask for forgiveness. You should forgive me. We have some work that we have to do. You know, when do we experience God's blessing? That's the issue that we want to look at this morning. You see, we love stories of life change. My marriage was a wreck, and God saved my marriage. I was addicted to drugs and alcohol. God changed my life. My finances were a mess. I came into a relationship with Christ and now my my finances are all in order and God has blessed me. We love good stories. We love stories that we can touch, that we can see, that we can hear about, and we can celebrate. We love immediate responses to stories, don't we? We don't want to wait. You know, this question of when is an issue for us. In fact, some people want results before they make a commitment. (laughs) I'll make a faith commitment or I'll get baptized when I have all my questions answered. And I can no longer rely on faith, but I want some facts. I'll start trusting God with my finances after I win the lottery. Thanks. <laughs> Sometimes we want results before we make a decision. We don't, not only do we not want to wait for them, sometimes we want results before we make a decision or before we make a commitment. And that's just the nature of how we think. We love immediate responses. We live in a culture that says, I put the quarter in and I should get the results right back out. You know, in most of my conversations with people, I find people really want results before they step out in faith. I don't know that I can trust God. If God does this, then I'll do that. You know, many times people want results before they step out in faith, and that's not what we're called to do. We're called to step out in faith, and God will bless us. But the question is when. We love our immediacy. We want our blessings immediately after we make a decision. And it's cool when that does happen, but that's typically not the way that it works. In the last two weeks, uh, we've been looking at Haggai chapter 1. And uh, the Israelites had been cursed by God. They had turned their back on God. 
uh, and just, you know, having God, you know, have, having been cursed by God, that's just not a good place to be. <laughs> None of us want to be cursed by God. But the reality is, is that God sometimes leaves us in the circumstances and the mess that we find ourselves. And sometimes God brings about things to self-correct our lives. You know, the Israelites were in a position where they had turned their back on God. And as a result, um, they had been, all their riches had been taken away. Their land had been taken away. There was a drought. There was a no crops. You know, the, the temple that they had built formerly had been destroyed. They've been in exile, but now they're back together. And they're starting to work on the temple, but now it's starting to slow down a little bit. And they start focusing on building their own homes. They focus on themselves and they start to again turn their back on God and neglecting the work of the temple. And God gets their attention and says, hey, these things are happening to you because you have turned your back on me. That's why you're in the predicament that you're in. That's what Haggai 1 was all about. It was about reminding the people that they have turned their back on God and they need to get back to the business of keeping their eyes focused on him and doing the work that he has called them to do in the restoration of this temple. And so that's where we end up in Haggai chapter 1. As we move into Haggai chapter 2, we see that uh, they heard the Lord and how did they respond? They repented and they get back to work and they start working on this temple. And so as you move into Haggai chapter 2, which is what we're going to look at today, we see that the temple work has been started, but things aren't getting any better. Okay, we started working on this temple. We've been focusing on you. We've been doing the reconstruction, but we're still in the same boat. Where's the results? We've been working on this thing for weeks, and nothing is changing. And this message is so relevant for us today. Because some of you here this morning are watching online, you're, you've been working on your marriage. You've stayed in it. How much longer do I have to keep working on this before things change? You've been praying with your kids, and you've been working with your family, and you're thinking, how much longer does this have to take? I took a step of faith. I got baptized. I got in a small group, and I'm still struggling in this area. We want immediate results. We don't like waiting. And that's the message that God would have for his people through Haggai as we move into chapter 2. Some of you have been praying for kids, finances, jobs, health. You've been praying and nothing is changing. In fact, it might be getting worse. And this reminds me so much of the situation that the people are in as we move into our passage this morning. The people in Haggai, they've repented. They've been doing the work. Nothing's getting better. And yet, God promises to bless them. The real question is, is when? You see, God makes a promise, and we can count. When God makes a promise, we can count on that coming to fruition. God doesn't just arbitrarily make promises. God keeps his word. If there's one thing in this world that you can trust, it's God's promises. But the real question that we have to wrestle through is when. See, God makes the promises. It's us that want to have it taken, take care of immediately. If, you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write, down, uh, write this down somewhere. There is nothing more secure than the promises of God. There's nothing more secure than the promises of God. Now, do you believe that? It's true. And that's sometimes where we just need to get to, and that's where we get to in Haggai chapter 2. We found that the people have made the right decisions. They're doing the work, but they're still waiting. 
you have our Bible with you, you can turn with me to Haggai chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says this. If you're following along online, by the way, underneath chat, there's a little tab over there you can click for Bible. And you can open your Bible up right in your window if you're watching with us online. But in Haggai chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, it says this. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And the Lord said to him, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, the governor of Judah. And speak to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say to them, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And so I want to stop there for a second. You know, it's interesting, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's no wasteful verses in Scripture. <laughs> sometimes I want to go, okay, well, what's going to happen? What's next? And so I want to back up for a second. I want to look at these first uh, couple of verses with you. Look at verse uh, one with me for a moment. It's the 21st day of the seventh month. And so I want to make a couple of notes about there. First of all, we started out in Haggai. Uh, when we started out, it was the sixth month. Now we're in the seventh month towards the end of it. So we know it's been at least four, you know, almost maybe eight weeks. And so they've been working on this project for a while. And so they got started on the project. They've been working on it and their situation has not been changed. In fact, they've been working on it for a while, and and I imagine that they're getting tired. They're getting worn out. They've been working really hard on the temple reconstruction. A lot of progress has been made. It's been eight weeks, but their situation hasn't changed a lot. And so I'm sure that Haggai needs to speak to them to encourage them because they are tired. We've been working on this for a while, and nothing's happening. And so Haggai would have to speak to them to encourage them because they're tired. We also know that the 21st of the seventh month of every year is an annual celebration uh, for the Jews. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, and in some cases, they're still celebrating that today. The Feast of Tabernacles was something that happened on the 21st of the seventh month every year. The tabernacle was a temporary structure uh, that the Israelites used. Uh, God had led them out of slavery. He'd led them, you know, through all those plagues. He'd led them out of Egypt. He's led them through the wilderness, and the tabernacle was the thing that they used to set up to be able to experience God's presence. And God's presence was with them in this tabernacle, leading them through these, all these different experiences. And so when they got to the point that they had a building, they still celebrated the Feast of the Tabernacle. It was a time for them to, to remember God's faithfulness. It was a time for them to step back and remember all that God had done for them. And it was also like the Feast of the Harvest. It was an opportunity to celebrate. And so they would honor and celebrate God's provision. And they would bring in all the, the crops. They'd bring all the abundance of their crops and their fattened calves. And they had this huge celebration um, to remember what God had accomplished uh, you know, through them and in them and with them. And that was called the Feast of the Tabernacle. And, and God's presence would be with them in the tabernacle this whole time. And so they're celebrating that. And so this, this Feast of the Tabernacle was a, was a celebration. It was a time to celebrate God's faithfulness and his provision. The people brought everything in like a harvest festival. Uh, it was just a, it was a great celebration. And so where are the people today? Now remember, they are in the middle of a drought. They have nothing. And so they've been working for weeks and they're still under this curse, they're still not seeing the blessing. It's like, hey, and now they have to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacle where they're supposed to bring in all their abundance and celebrate God's faithfulness. And you know what they have? Nothing. There's a drought. 
Their crops have been wiped out. There's, there's nothing to bring in. It's like, you know, I got back from vacation. I look in the refrigerator and there's a bag of carrots. I'm thinking, I'm hungry. So what are you going to bring to the Feast of the Tabernacle? I got a bag of carrots. And so they've been working hard. They're tired. And I'm sure that they're disappointed. They're celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacle at a point when they are still experiencing a drought. And I'm sure they're discouraged. They're tired. They're discouraged and disappointed. And, and Haggai's trying to encourage them. And in, in fact, you know what? It gets, it gets worse because look what it says in verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it like nothing in your eyes? You know, the temple reconstruction is underway. God reminds them of how it used to be. Does anybody remember the former glory of this temple? The Solomon? It was huge. It was gold. It was, it was absolutely gorgeous. And now they've done their temple reconstruction. And look at this little temple. And they're thinking, that's like nothing compared to what it used to be. I'm in the midst of this work. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I got nothing to bring to the feast. And now I'm looking at this little temple that got built. And it is tales in comparison to what was there before. And they are discouraged. And that's what Haggai is speaking to. That's where the Israelites are at this time. And it says, in fact, if you read through this story, you look back in uh, Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel talks about this um, back in verse 10, or not Ezekiel, and Ezra. In uh, chapter 3, Ezra's writing about the same time about this history of what's, what's happening. We're experiencing the history as we read through Haggai and Zechariah. Ezra was actually writing about it um, back in chapter 3. And listen to what he says when he writes about this scene, uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, talking about the temple that they're working on right now that Haggai is speaking to, the priests came in their vestments. They came forward with trumpets, the Levites, the son of Aspah, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And all the people shouted with a great joy when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had now been laid. But then it says this in verse 12, but many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's households, the the old men who had seen the first house, they wept. They wept with a loud voice because they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many were shouting for joy so that the people could not even distinguish between the sounds of joyful shouts, the sound of the people's weeping. There's this great celebration about the foundation being laid. You've got all these young guys that have now come in and they've been rebuilding. The, they got the foundation laid. They started to work on the temple, but then you've got all these old guys and they're walking around. They're looking at this. They're going, this is nothing compared to what God had for us. I mean, can you imagine the scene here? They're, they're weeping loudly. They're blessed because the work's been started, but they know that there's still something missing. You know, I long, I long for the days that we can get back to what it was like before COVID. You know, do you ever think about, it's just like, I'm looking at what was, and I'm looking at what we're doing now, and I'm thinking, oh, this is nothing. Okay, there's a couple people sitting out here. Where is everybody? Let's go back to the way things were. I mean, it's discouraging, isn't it? But you know what? God is blessing us even in the midst of this. 
Sometimes we look back and it prevents us from being able to experience more of what God's going to do in and through us. God is going to blow the socks off of this thing when he's ready. Because God promises to bless those that are faithful. He promises to bless his children. It's the timing that we have a problem with. And these Israelites that Haggai's speaking to, they're tired, they're worn out, they're discouraged, and they're, oh, they're whining. And, 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 and Haggai would speak encouraging words to them. Can you imagine, you know, this is how they're feeling right now. If you think about the Israelites, they're tired. I don't know, did we already pass that slide? They're tired, they're worn out, they don't know where to turn. And then Haggai would encourage them as we move into uh, verse 4. He says this, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. You know, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Is that it? I'm tired. I'm depressed. I'm worn out. Oh, I got this temple that's nothing. And, and this is the encouragement. You know, keep working. Don't stop. Keep working. Be strong. Okay, I'll get right on that. Work. I'll work some more. For I am with you, declares the Lord. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. I am with you. That's it. Is that enough? Is that enough for you and for me? I'm tired. I'm worn out. But you don't understand what's going on in my life. Nobody's experienced this like I have. Be strong for I am with you. Is that enough? That's a question that every Christ follower has to answer. I don't know why people come to church. I really don't. If you're on the outside, you're looking in, you're thinking, this makes absolutely no sense. I don't know why you're here this morning or why you're watching online. You know why Springbrook Church exists? We want to help people to know that the Lord is with you. The Lord is for you. The Lord wants a relationship with you. That's why we exist. That's why we do everything that we do. And and this is what God promises us. And that's all he's ever promised us. He hasn't promised us anything else. In fact, that was the covenant that he made with his people. Look back at verse 5. According to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. God has never promised them anything other than the fact that he will be with them. That's the covenant promise. That I will be with you and you will be my people. My spirit will live in you and I will, you will be my child. God has never promised us anything other than the fact that he will be with us. Is that enough? You know, you need to write this down too. What does God promise you today? What promises is God making you today? He's making you a promise today that if you remain in him, he will remain in you. 
That's the promise. If you remain in him, he will remain in you. That is a promise. And you know what? God made it. It's secure. You can count it. Remember, God keeps his promises. And he has promised that if we remain in him, he will remain in us. Our vision at Springbrook is to make disciples that are reaching others for Christ. We have a vision at Springbrook. We have a discipleship pathway to connect, to grow, to equip, and, and to equip people to go to be witnesses in the world. We have a, we have a, a vision. We have a discipleship-making pathway. We've got, we've got the Great Commission and the Great Commandment that the entire Bible is summarized up with. Love God. Love others. While you're going, make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey. We've got the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Do you know what all of those things are about. They're about helping us to experience God being with us. That's what we get with all those things. That's what this this whole ministry is all about. Everything that we do is about helping people experience having God with them. That's what we get with everything that we're doing. That's what we get with this ministry. And that's the end result for all of our work, that God will be with us. You see, God's promise to you is himself. That's God's promise. And the reward that living the Christian life out is, is that we can be with God. God is the reward. The question is, is that enough for us? Or are there other things that we want to attach to that? You know, if you attend Springbrook, you know what you're going to find at this church? God. People ask me all the time, what do you have for my kids? God. What do you have for me? God. Is that enough? I think that's a pretty good deal. And that's why everything that we do focuses around pointing people to who we are in Christ. That's why this ministry exists. What do you have for me? God. That's a great answer. (laughs) But what else? What else do you have? God. That's my answer. We want to point people to God. God offers us himself. And that seems like a pretty good deal. The God of the universe wants a relationship with each and every one of us. The question is, is he enough? And if we do have that relationship with us, what are our expectations about blessing and when will we experience those? You know, if I do these things, if I make a faith commitment, is, is my spouse going to come back? I don't know. You know, if I commit my life to Christ, will I be healed? I don't know. Yeah, I committed my life to Christ, and I don't have a girlfriend. Well, you might not ever want to have one. What are our expectations about what happens when we come to Christ? What are our expectations about living out the Christian life? Is God enough? If I do these things with my kids, will this happen? I don't know. If I do these things with, what about my job? I don't know. What about my finances? I don't know. God doesn't promise us. There's, there's no covenant blessing that all of a sudden, if you make a faith commitment, your bank account's going to get full, your relationships are all going to be right, that the whole world's going to be nice and bright and shiny. That's not what God promises. He promises us himself. God promises that he will be with us. You'll have God. That's God's covenant with you. There's no promises of earthly blessings. In fact, in some cases, you might experience resistance. 
You know, I really don't know what motivates people, but it's my prayer that as we think about this ministry, that we are pointing people to God. As we move through the rest of our verses this morning, God promises to be enough for them, but he does give them some additional blessings. He says, beginning in verse 6, thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in just a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I'm going to shake all the nations so that all the treasures of all the nations shall, shall come in. You're, you're going to be blessed. And I will fill this house with, house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give you peace. You know, this promise has come true in one sense, in a physical way. Um, it didn't come true for about 500 years for them. You see, they're doing all this temple work. These guys are working on this temple around 520 B.C. wouldn't be until Herod the Great would come in around 20, uh, you know, 20 A.D. Uh, he'd build out this huge temple, and the latter glory of the temple would become greater than the former, but it would be 500 years later. And so the temple would be reconstructed. You know, King Herod with his big old ego comes in and makes this huge temple. It was 500 years later before they experienced that. What if I told you, hey, this work that you're doing in this body of Christ in Springbrook, you're not going to believe it. In 500 years, you're not going to believe what this thing's going to look like. Does that excite you? How about the year 2500? Hey, it's, I, know it's, I know it's only 2020 right now, but I'm telling you, in 2025, <laughs> all this work that you're putting into this, oh, it's going to be great. Is that motivating? Unless you have a kingdom perspective and unless you have an eternal perspective, like, like, no. What are we doing with this parking lot out here? Is that a kingdom work? You know, I'm serving in this children's way. I'm, I'm setting up the chairs. I'm working with the kids. I'm mowing the grass. I mean, is this the blessing? You mean I got to wait 500 years to be able to experience all this blessing? You know, ultimately, the fulfillment of this process is going to come true. In Matthew 21, Jesus comes into this temple and he claims it for himself. In Matthew 21, he cleanses the temple and he pushes out all the money launderers and he, and he cleanses the temple and he's healing people and he prophesies his own death and he says, I'm going to die for you and I'm going to bring peace with God to you. And in Matthew 24, Jesus says something else interesting. He said, this temple, this newer, bigger temple that everybody's looking at right now, he says, you know, it's going to be destroyed. In Matthew uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the temple and the construction and, and uh, what this thing's going to look like. And uh, he says in, in 24, uh, this new bigger temple is going to be destroyed. And then in, and in uh, verse 1, he says this. Jesus left the temple. He was going away when his disciples came to the point. They pointed out to the, the, the temple, the building, this construction. They're looking at this huge temple. But he answered them, you see all these things? You see them, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This temple is going to be destroyed. 
all this, these great things that you see, they're going to be gone. And the ultimate fulfillment of the promises of God, as we look at it in Haggai, are ultimately about what we're going to find in, in Christ. You know, Malachi is the, is the last uh, book of the Old Testament. In, uh, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, he, he records it like this. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a way before me. And the Lord, when, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a refiner's soap. This prophecy is about Jesus. Jesus is going to destroy this temple. And guess what? We have the Holy Spirit in us now. And now we are the temple of the living God. We have the Spirit in us. When Jesus died on the cross, right when he breathed his last, the temple curtains were torn open. And we all have direct access to God right now. We don't, we don't, need, we don't need to go to somebody else. We don't, we don't need to work our way into heaven. We have direct access to a living God that loves us, that promises us to be with us, that if we remain in him, he will remain in us. And we can each individually experience that and enjoy it. And that's who we are together. The body of Christ. People that have come to experience and and are living that out and encouraging one another. The ultimate fulfillment of this promise is going to come true when every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord and every knee will bow. And those that have not rejected Christ will find peace. That's what we have to look forward to. In Revelation chapter 21, John's writing, he says this beginning in verse 1. I saw a vision of a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death. There will be no more moaning, no more crying, no more pain, no more anguish. The former things will have passed away. And that's what we have to look forward to. God promises us to, to be with us today through the working of his spirit in our life. And we look forward to that day that Christ is going to return and we're going to be with him physically in his presence for the remainder of all time. And that, my friends, is a promise. And you will experience it at that moment that you either stand before him or at that moment Christ returns. We need to be patient and obedient, doing the work that God has called us to do while we're waiting for his return. And God promises to be with us. He promises us his spirit. He promises that we will receive all the power that he can conjure up to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. God can't promise financial blessing, can't promise financial stability, good health, but he does promise us a future. Is that enough for you? Can you cling to that and hold on to it until that day that you realize the reality of that truth? We can have a beautiful relationship with God today. 
whatever's going on in your life right now, you can experience peace. Jesus came to give us peace. In this world, we're going to have trials, tribulations, but take heart. I've overcome those things, and we can experience peace alone that God can provide through Christ. That's why in Matthew 13, the, the, when, the, when the traveler finds out there's a pearl, he goes and sells everything so he can buy this field because he's got this pearl of great price that he wants. There's nothing more important in our life than who we are in Christ. Nothing. Nothing. God doesn't promise us anything other than to be with us, and when he returns, we can be with him for all eternity. And this morning, some of you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision about what you believe about Christ. Is God enough for you? Do you understand that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sins? He paid the penalty for that. He took on the full weight and wrath of the sins of the world so that we could be right with God. And it's an offer that he makes. And and each of us individually has to accept that offer. And there's nothing gray in the middle. It's not a, hey, I, don't, I think I have a relationship with Christ. Because if you can't say you do, then you don't. There is no think. There is no middle ground. We either have a relationship with Christ or we don't. And some of you this morning need to make a decision for Christ. That he's going to be enough. And that you're going to place your faith there. If you're watching with us online, there's a place over on the right for you to click your desire to have a relationship with Christ. If you're with us this morning, you've got a communication card on your desk, on your chair there. I want to encourage you that if you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, today is the day to make a decision to make God enough. I want to invite you to give your life to Christ. I believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the grave, and when he comes back, that's a promise that I'm going to claim. I want that. And I'm going to ask Christ to come into my life and to be my Lord. And God will bless you in his time and in his way. But he makes you a promise that no matter what's going on in your life today, he will be with you. He will strengthen you. He'll see you through it. And when he comes, you can be with him. And so today, if you want to make a first-time faith commitment, I want to invite you to, just, to pray with me. Father, God, as best as I know how, come into my life and take control. I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I want a relationship with you. And if that's the desire of your heart, all you need to do is ask. And then we want to celebrate that decision with you. And so you can, you know, on your welcome card, you can say, I want to know more about a relationship with Christ, or click that link. And so you've got a link if you're watching online. Click it no matter what, because even if you do have a relationship with Christ, I want to ask you, is God enough for what you're going through right now? Do you want more of Christ in your life? Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. If you click that link, Click the little thing that says connect with us. Let me know. Do you have a relationship with Christ already? If you don't, I'd love to pray with you. If you already have a relationship with Christ, are you praying for more of Christ in your life? Maybe today you just want to celebrate. I am so excited about who I am in Christ. Share that with us. Because God's promises are lasting and they're true and ultimately where we find our hope. And so I pray for you this morning that no matter what's going on in your life, that you would have a sense of the presence of God working in you that you would be connected to this body of Christ, that you can grow in your faith and experience the fullness of that new life that Christ has for us, that we can be an encouragement to each other as we continue to seek him and do the work that he has prepared in advance for us to do as we wait his second coming or until we meet him. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. And gosh, I, just, I am so grateful for the hope that we have in Christ. God, thank you that you saw fit to call me 
into a relationship with yourself. And to call my friends into a relationship with yourself is nothing short of a miracle when somebody comes to faith. God, we, we celebrate that. And so, God, we just want to thank you for that hope that we have. I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us, that we can be an encouragement to one another, that we can strengthen each other as each of us does the work that you've prepared in advance for us to do to build up and strengthen this body of Christ. God, I pray that as others come into Springbrook, that they would come to know you and experience your peace. We lift this day up to you. We look forward to all that you have for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thank you for being with us today. Next week, Pastor Matt's going to kick off a two-week series of the book of Luke. And then, as I mentioned, I am so excited about our Acts series because Acts is about the work of the Holy Spirit and all that God wants to do in and through us. And that early church is a model for us. And so we're going to spend eight weeks going through uh, Acts. And so you'll see some more information about that. But I'm telling you right now, I just want to encourage you to continue to pray with me uh, that God will continue to go before our ministry as we seek to reach our community for Christ and to make disciples. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day. Go in peace.